Dr. Brent Staten. Today is December 15th, and we are speaking to you for a bonus episode of Race to Value. The full episode featuring you and your ACO colleague, Dr. Ty Webb, was just released a few days ago, and we've been getting positive feedback from our listeners about that interview. And it's inspiring to see how the Cumberland Center for Healthcare Innovation is building economic strength in the communities to which it serves. This bonus interview, however, has more of a somber note. Our nation has lost 300,000 Americans so far in this pandemic, and your community is at war with this virus, and you personally are in the crosshairs. Not only have you been fighting the virus as a rural physician and a community leader, but now you're personally dealing with a COVID-19 infection. As I understand, you're currently in about day 20 of this battle with this terrible disease as a patient, and which I think gives you some unique perspectives. Can you tell our listeners what insights on the pandemic would you share as a family medicine physician, an ACO executive, an entrepreneur, a community leader, and now a COVID patient? And specifically, your patient population is under siege with this virus. Have they been taking the proper safety precautions or are you still dealing with resistance as a public health leader in your community? I think what it comes down to as an American nation, we need to refocus on unity and protecting one another. And I'm sure everybody out there listening probably will understand this. You love God and you love your neighbor. Unfortunately, sometimes you don't see that whenever people get agendas in their minds or they want to believe certain things or they have leadership that may have their own agendas to do, to walk down certain paths. We've had marked resistance in our community as far as mitigation of the spread of COVID-19. If you've listened to the previous podcast, you can probably tell my voice is slightly different now. Unfortunately, uh, not only did I contract COVID-19, but I also contracted type B flu as well. And I have an underlying asthma. I contracted type B flu because we're short on flu vaccines in our area whenever I needed one. I had one left in my office and a patient comes in with hypertension and diabetes. I chose to give the flu shot to the patient, not myself, because they needed the protection because I didn't want them to end up having flu and COVID at the same time. I made one fatal error. I walked into a room to check a patient who had had a um, appendectomy, an emergency appendectomy in a hospital just to check his wound. I never go anywhere or do anything without a mask. I was at my desk doing my notes. I walked in, I was probably in there maybe 15 seconds. I social distanced from him as soon as I saw his wound was healing nicely, no problems. I stepped away. I'm about 98% sure that's where I contracted it. As family medicine physicians and as doctors as a whole and as healthcare providers and frontline workers, our number one goal is to serve patients. We don't want to be heroes 
As a physician, our number one goal is to serve. Our, we're a servant community. We don't do this for glory. We don't do this to be called heroes. We do this to serve. That's it. And we can serve our patients much better if they would assist us by protecting themselves, which then in turn protects us. All we want to do is take care of and love our patients. Sorry, I'm a little short of breath. I have to take breaks periodically. This has been uh, quite a, a learning experience for me. I have access to health care that other people don't have. I've been to the hospital twice for infusions. They were very, very helpful, very, very good with me. I have very good insurance. I have physicians, as you can imagine, being a CEO of a accountable care organization with 250 providers associated with it who are more than happy to make house calls to my home, check on me, provide medications, make sure I have the durable medical equipment I need. So, you know, again, this brings up inequities in healthcare to me. I mean, there's so many issues that me contracting this virus, or I guess both of these viruses simultaneously with asthma, there's people who don't have, and those are the people who are most at risk. I will get through this. I have some of the best doctors ever, fortunately, because I recruited the majority of them into the ACO. I know them. I have a Duke neurologist who's triple boarded, who's following me as well because I've had a previous arteriovenous malformation repair in my brain, so brain surgery back in 2006. But other than that, I'm fit, I'm healthy. My CT scan, I did a full body CT. The radiologist came out and said, dude, when I'm your age, I hope I look 30. My pulmonary function test showed I was in my 30s before COVID hit. My pulmonary function tests today show I'm 74. So it's things like that, that people need to understand. That I'm literally, I mean, as weird as it sounds, I mean, I take very good care of myself as a physician because if I don't take care of myself, I can't serve anyone. You can kind of tell the underlying theme in my life is service. This is a, I, I just hope this helps. I mean, if this will save a life, it's worth it to me. Just one. We've had patients, one specific, who was in their 40s, who was on ECMO for weeks. He survived. We've had patients lose limbs. The things that we're not talking about in this there's disabilities associated with this post-COVID. So if you don't have symptoms today, you don't know what your symptoms are gonna be 10 years from now. I mean, I had this passion before, but boy, do I have it now. We've gotten a lot of mixed messages through unfortunate political interference, through social media, through all these different formats that we have available to us now. 
we're going to have to get back to the point to where we can trust our doctors or we can trust our scientists. We can't continue down a pathway of distrust. Every doctor that works in our ACO, bar none, every specialist I know, bar none, their number one goal, they all may have different personalities, but their number one goal is to take care of that patient, protect that life. When a patient comes in with COVID-19 and you read that the CDC says, well, only 6% of them don't have comorbid conditions. That doesn't mean that only 6% died of COVID. That's, um, I'm trying to think of a very polite word to put here and I can't think of one. I'll just say incorrect. Because my patients who have died of COVID would not be dead today had they contracted COVID this year. There's been an additional 300,000 deaths in our country who for some reason seem to be a silent dark hole in our chest that no one, no one seems to be noticing, I guess. I mean, I hate to put it that way, but you know, just because you're 65 years old and you have COPD doesn't mean you deserve to die. Just because you're 72 and you live in a nursing home and you have medical problems doesn't mean you deserve to die this year just because we have a pandemic. And people who don't believe this is a pandemic, I'm not sure where they got their medical training from. I'm not sure where they got their master's degree in health policy from, but I think it's pretty simple to look up the word pandemic and see that this is a pandemic. You can probably tell if I had my full voice, there would probably be a little bit more passion and anger in this, which leads me to what I believe has happened in our nation. I think what's happened in our nation is fear and misunderstanding. When all of this started, it was downplayed. Oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's no worse than the flu. Yes, it is. You know, on a bad year, we'll, use, we'll lose 60,000 people to the flu on a bad year. This year, we've lost already 300,000 Americans. And I'm telling you, looking at data, if we don't move faster on this vaccine, people are going to go have Christmas, and the same thing is going to happen after Christmas as happened after Thanksgiving. People are going to go to New Year's parties, and the same surges are going to happen after New Year's that happen after Thanksgiving. And we're going to have more and more deaths. We're going to have record deaths. 3,000 people died in a day so people could go have Thanksgiving dinner. Wait till next year to have Thanksgiving dinner so you can actually have Thanksgiving dinner with your loved one so there's not an empty seat at the table so you can see your grandmother, so you can see your grandfather, your father, your mother. She'll never have another Thanksgiving. She'll never have another Christmas. Her family will never see her again for that. All they have are photos now. 
So we need to redouble our focus on mask wearing. And when I say mask wearing, wear the appropriate masks, wear your masks correctly. Don't wear it under your nose. Don't wear it under your chin. Wear it up on your face. Cover your nose to your chin, tighten around your face. Make sure you protect your family at least. If you don't, if you're not worried about other individuals in your community, you know, at least be selfish and take care of yourself. Because by retrospect, if you do that, then you're taking care of everyone else. There's a lot of symptoms of coronavirus, fever, chills, cough, shortness of breath. I've had excruciating pain. It feels like someone has about an eight inch leather belt wrapped around my chest and I'm in a torture chamber and they're tightening it as tight as I could possibly tighten it. I can't lay in bed elevated. I have to lay prone as much as possible. Or I have to lay flat on my back with a single light pillow. So I'm here to tell you, this is no joke. This is serious. This is killing people. Wearing me out, fellas. We're about there. We got it. I can do it. We got it, man. We hear a lot about mask wearing, and you've heard me talk about that today. Mask wearing is a proven effective means of slowing the spread of this virus. In all truthfulness, mask wearing is not going to protect you 100%, especially when your neighbors aren't wearing them. If you wear a mask and your neighbor's not wearing a mask, you're probably getting maybe 30% coverage. If you're wearing a mask and your neighbor's wearing a mask who is infected, you're probably approaching 90% effectiveness. Nothing's gonna protect you 100%, not even these wonderful panacea vaccines that we're having out. As you've seen in the news media, they're about 94 and a half to 95% protective. You know, people want to live a normal life, okay? Living a normal life right now is wearing a mask until we can get vaccinated. And if you're not willing to wear a mask, then stay home. But people not wearing masks in public, I can't even get to the level of disrespect for other human life. So there's a lot of armchair quarterbacks who complain about a lot of things, who have a lot of comments on a lot of topics that maybe we should uh, be cautious about listening to. But in order to provide herd immunity to our communities, it is extremely important that we trust Dr. Fauci, that we trust our Surgeon Generals, that we trust our physicians, you know, the group of, the group of well-respected virologists the group of well-respected vaccinologists who worked so hard on getting an amazing turnaround on a vaccine to treat COVID-19. 
I believe slowly people will begin trusting the vaccine, the more people who receive the vaccine and the fewer side effects. We know about the anaphylaxis issue with the Pfizer vaccine. It doesn't appear as though Moderna may have that. We need to make sure of that. Um, but we will work with your physician about vaccines. We hear a lot about herd immunity. The only safe way to get to herd immunity is through vaccination. If we achieve herd immunity through infective processes, infecting our nation, I want to lowball the number a little bit. Let's just say there's 300 million people in our country. There's more. And we have a 1.7% death rate. That equates to three, five, 5 million people. So God has given us a brain above all other animals. He's given us a mind, cerebral cortex, so we can function at a higher level, so we can protect our human species, so we can provide services to each other so we can protect through vaccines, so we can protect through medicines. Let's use that God-given gift that we have and serve our fellow man. Let's protect one another. Love your neighbor as you do yourself. Love God. We can retrospectively look back again as armchair quarterbacks, and we can complain about how our government handled this. We can complain about our governors. We can complain about our president, our Congress, our local officials for not putting in face, ma face mask mandates. We can even complain about our healthcare workers. But it's not effective for us to retrospectively look back at this point. We have to move forward on this disease. If we don't, we're going to achieve numbers of deaths through not being vaccinated that are insurmountable for families. You can't get your grandmother back. You can't get your grandfather back. You can't get your father back. Trust me, I've lost all of mine. Thank God not to COVID but I get to see their gravestones. And on holidays, I don't want you going to see your grandparents at their gravestones because of COVID-19. I want you going and eating their good turkey and their dressing that they make like no one else can make. We need to refocus on a proactive plan rapidly as possible to mitigate the spread of this virus. We need to, as Americans, focus on mask wearing social distancing. Do not go to Christmas dinner, please. We have Zoom. We have all kinds of opportunities to do it. If you're going to do it, you need to do it in a social distance manner. We have to take these efforts now while we're administering the vaccine. This vaccine likely is going to take us into the third or fourth quarter to get people vaccinated. And that's just if we move rapidly. So we're, we're looking at another year probably, starting January 1, before we're going to reach to where we need to reach as a nation. 
There are other nations around the world, like Australia, for example. Their flu season was abated to near zero. They have hardly any infections whatsoever in their country. They're very proud of the fact, and I know a lot of doctors there, and I know a lot of people there. I talk to them all the time. They're very proud of the fact that they were willing to come together as a community. They're very happy that they do have a normal life now. They go out. They still wear their masks just in case. New Zealand is another example. Their infection rate is excruciatingly low. If you look around the world, the numbers are excruciatingly low. In our local area, we utilize the Italian data and the New York data to make decisions more rapidly as physicians through our COVID-19 task force that we formed through our accountable care organization and our community leaders in order to shut down nursing homes, put out advertisements on radio and television to implore people to wear masks. We kept our numbers low for a while until people decided to drop their guard. When people decided to drop their guard, infections began to rise, which is exactly what we projected. Our data projected approximately 2,000 deaths by August 1st. Our data was spot on because we knew the behavior of our communities. As a personal note, I received the monoclonal antibody about four days after my diagnosis, hoping that it would you know, keep me at work, to be honest, so I could take care of my patients. So I'd go in my office and do telemedicine visits with my, with my patients and take care of them. I can't say that it wasn't effective. I may be intubated in the hospital right now if I didn't have it, so I, I can't tell you that. But I had it. But you have to have the monoclonal antibody between your diagnosis and day 10 if you're going to get it. Because this disease process can ramp itself up into the respiratory phase, which is when you'll need to be on dexamethasone at minimum in order to suppress that inflammatory response in your lungs and maybe even earlier. Talk to your physician if you have COVID-19 about your treatment plan, if you need to talk to them every single day. So we were able to use the Italy and New York data to shut down nursing homes and save lives. We were able to shut down home health uh, contact, uh, reduce it uh, in order to save lives. We were able to bring our patients into outdoor settings in our offices that we set up in our communities to save lives. Our number one goal is just service. Our number one goal is to love our patients. That's all we do. That's all we wanna do. We are typically rural, suburban, family medicine physicians and internal medicines physicians and we do that for a reason. We do that to serve our communities because we live where we work. We can all hearken back to the memories of World War II 
we had many, many men and women who served in the military. The majority of the men were at war. They were in tanks, they were in foxholes, they were carrying guns. They had lead flying at them, they had mortars, they had shells, they had rockets. I don't see this as a lot different. COVID-19 is an invisible mortar shell. You don't know when you're gonna walk through it without your mask on. You don't know when that person who just went through the checkout counter in front of you had it. And you know, I thought, I ain't worried about it, it ain't real. I'm not gonna wear a mask. Please refocus on unity of our nation. Please refocus on caring about your neighbor. We had women who ran factories and built planes and tanks and guns and bullets to send to the men fighting on the front lines. We had nursing staff who were on the front lines in World War II battling for our nation. Let's reinforce that battle for our nation now. We have a weapon now. We have vaccines. All you have to do is go back to the basics to mitigate spread, wash your hands, social distance, love your neighbor, wear a mask appropriately, and take care of your health. As we know, suicide rates, drug use, alcohol use, domestic violence, child abuse, all of these things are on the rise during this very stressful time. But most importantly, we now have a weapon in our war. Now that we have a weapon in our war, that's not, you know, quote, just a mask. Please wear your mask now. This is the perfect time. If you've not been wearing a mask, get it out. Get a 95 N95 mask if you can. Get a double cotton mask if you can. Get the best mask you can to fit your face. Protect your neighbors, protect your loved ones, protect your children, because you don't know in 10 years if your child gets COVID-19 today, whether they're gonna have pulmonary fibrosis in 10 or 20 years or not, especially if they pick up smoking or vaping. We don't know the long-term outcomes to our kids. So love your children, love your neighbors, love your family, and love your nation. Let's double down and protect ourselves. Thank you very much for having me to talk today. I really appreciate it. And if this saves one life, it's worth my time. I'm uh, fortunately sitting here on three liters of oxygen so I can have this conversation. This is real. So it's our nation at stake. This is the United States of America. There's nothing we can't do if we do it right and we do it together. And I think we're ready to do it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Dr. Staten, for sharing your story with the Race to Value listeners. 
I hope it's helpful. I hope someone can hear it and I hope someone can get the message and I hope that it saves some lives because that's ultimately my number one goal in my life is to save those lives and serve my community and my community being not only the United States, but the world as a whole.